You're listening to Germantown Community Radio, 92.9 WGGTLP Philadelphia, and online at gtownradio.com. If it's Thursday evening, it's Cue the Mic. Or if you're listening to us on Saturday afternoon, then you're listening to us on WXVU 89.1 Villanova's Campus Community Station. Welcome. Welcome, welcome to Cue the Mic. It is July. I cannot believe that it is the third week in July and August is upon us. But, you know, we're still here, still dealing with pandemic stuff a little bit without the mask, but we're here. And a lot of us are vaccinated. So that that helps a lot. I am Dr. Renee Norris-Jones. I had the doctor in there because I don't take myself too serious. My grandchildren call me Dr. Grandmother. It has everything to do with me. My pronouns are she and her. And I'm here with my co-host, Sandy Smith. Hi, folks. This is Sandy Smith. Uh... Also fully vaccinated, but a little concerned for what's happening in my native Missouri. Uh, My day job is home and real estate editor at Philadelphia Magazine. And actually, uh, we're recording this show and I'm in the magazine offices right now. Um, In order to discourage people from sending me mail that begins, Dear Ms. Smith, uh, my pronouns are he, him, and his. And uh, we have a guest on today's show, um, Abdul Ali Muhammad, uh, the founder of the Black and Brown Workers Cooperative, freelance journalist, and uh, the person who is putting together the future of Philly Pride, which is we will talk about later in the show. Uh, Of which speaking, let's do a rundown of what's on the show. We're gonna start with our weekly Why Pronouns Matter segment, uh, followed up by our uh, Queer Arts and Culture feature. And Renee has something interesting, a first of its kind event to uh, talk about there. Um, Then political cues and news where we will discuss the future of pride in Philadelphia. Uh, That'll be followed by our clues for the clueless, gay answers to straight questions And then it's our lightning round, newsworthy or not. And on this day in queer history, in uh, 1973, singer Rufus Rainwright was born. Uh, He's he's a Canadian, openly gay, Grammy-nominated singer-songwriter, released his first album in 1998 to great critical acclaim. He has contributed to several film soundtracks, including Moulin Rouge, I am Sam Heights and Brokeback Mountain. Uh, he's the son of two musicians, Loudon Rainwright III and Kate McGarrigal. And in April 2010, he came out publicly in favor of legalizing same-sex marriage in the United States because he wanted to marry his partner, Jorn Weisbrot. On with the show. <laughs> I so love that movie, I Am Sam, as soon as you said that. I Googled it. Have you guys seen the movie I Am Sam? Actually, I, I haven't. Have no. <laughs> Tell us a little bit what it's about. It is about a, an adult who was mentally challenged, mentally, emotionally challenged, and he wound up being the father of a child. 
and the mother of the child was also had some mental challenges and he wound up getting custody and wound up fighting for that custody and the the whole challenge was that you know he was um his job at i think the coffee shop was he was the one that called out the numbers when they were ready mm-hmm. um so it's a very moving show definitely it's one of the movies that i actually have a copy of even though it's been a while but yeah. it's definitely worth seeing so yeah i am sam was a really good movie um i think that's the best i can do for describing it without giving away the whole plot but very 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 good movie so i'm sorry moving along as i as i googled that we are going to do um, why pronouns matter. And as Sandy said, so sometimes we we talk about it. And lately we've been asking our guests why and how, why and what is it about pronouns mattering to you? Kind of how did you come across it? And when did it become something special that you connected with? Yeah, I mean, I use they, them pronouns. I identify as non-binary. And um, in terms of why pronouns matter to me, they matter because everyone's gender is different, right? We all are on a gender and sexuality spectrum and we're not all in the same spot on that spectrum. And so pronouns help us to understand where folks are located on that spectrum or not. Um, And so, you know, I'm somewhere probably close to the middle. Um, and, and so I don't use he, him, or she, her. I use they, them pronouns. Um, so they matter to me because everyone's different. Everyone's body is different. Gender expression is different. Gender identity is different. Um, and we need um, something more um, expansive to describe that. And pronouns help us um, expand our, our understanding of gender. And so it, it helps us, is that the collective kind of humans on the earth or within our uh, LGBT community, are you saying? I, I would say both. I would say within the LGBTQ community um, and, and without. Like, I think when someone says they, them, it opens up the opportunity for conversations about why someone is using they, them as a pronoun um, so that folks can understand that just because you perceive someone to be a certain um, gender, um, they may not necessarily fit into what your perception is. Um, and also just help elucidate the, the truth, which is that gender is a construct, right? That the gender that we're assigned at birth is not necessarily how we see ourselves in the world. Um, and so it helps for folks to understand that they can too um, do some unlearning and do some learning by using um, um, pronouns that reflect their gender uh, properly or close to their gender. Right, right. I, I totally get that. So a couple of months ago, we did a show, well, I don't know, a couple of months, a couple of weeks ago with the pandemic, I'm losing kind of what month it is. We, my nephew was actually on the show. He talked about AIDS. He contracted AIDS when he was, I believe he said like 21, 22. And he said that his pronouns were he, they. And the only other person that we, that I heard that from was Andreas, who is occasionally on the show. And um, Andreas said that his pronouns were he, they. So we talked to both of them about it. And 
my nephew, Charlie said that he sometimes how he dresses or how he presents to the world doesn't necessarily define their gender. And for Charlie, it was making sure that he did not get she, her, or any feminine pronouns. Hmm. Um, so have, have you met people who are he, they, or she, they? Yeah, I think I think people are sometimes open to other to other pronouns outside right. of just they them, and right. some folks are open to all pronouns, and some folks are just open to um, very specific feminine or masculine pronouns. So I think yeah, I definitely know people have met folks who use they them and he him as well. Um, right. And so yeah, I think that you know, like like I said earlier. And like you just um, kind of clarified by talking about your nephew, um, you know, everyone is in their body differently and everyone right. is there. And so gender expression is one thing that doesn't, it, and sometimes it aligns with your gender identity. Uh, for example, you know, I present in a certain way, folks read me as a quote unquote man um, because of my gender expression, but my gender identity, like I said earlier, was non-binary. Um, and so I don't feel either like a man nor a woman. I feel somewhere in the middle. Okay. And so, yeah, I think, like you said, it, you know, our perception sometimes will betray us when it comes to folks in their identities. And so it's always a good practice to ask folks what their pronouns are. Right, right. And, and he wasn't offended and ne neither was Andreas when I asked them to elaborate on that. I mean, they actually welcomed the opportunity to speak about why they use it. And Andreas, we were trying to get him in a couple of weeks, but um, where he's gonna come on and talk about why he uses they, them. So it'd be interesting to hear the perspective of that. But thank you for sharing that. Thank you very much for sharing that. You're welcome. Um, did I move right past this day, no, no, I'm well, we sorry. We did this day today. Yes, there we but, go. Uh, we are right now at the point where we should go into the arts and culture segment, and that gets to that first that uh, you clued me into. Yes, so yesterday I attended the first Monco, Delaware. So it was Mon Montgomery County, Delaware County. I don't know whether it's Monco, Delco, or Delco, Monco, but I went to their first Pride event yesterday. It was at the I want to say the Jenkintown Arts Center, but it might have been the Abington Arts Center. And I, I've been there before. I've taken my child there as a child there for some arts. I didn't realize they had such lovely grounds. Um, it was a nice event. It was a beautiful day for it. Um, I'm not sure if you, if, if either of you got out yesterday, but it was just, someone said that in parts of the city it was hot, but out there it was just, it was like a spring day. The breeze was wonderful. They hit live music. There was a stage, some of the artists, and I meant to look them up and bring them up, and I forgot that. But if you look on social media, they're listed there. But it was just a really nice event. There was food. The food was fantastic. There were food trucks there, um, lots of seating. It was, it, was an, it was a nice event. It was a beautiful day for the event. 
I'm going to jump in just a second to remind you again that this is the first annual Bucks Montgomery Gay Pride Festival. <laughs> okay, I, I apologize. I knew that it was two names in there. Mm -hmm. um, and probably because I know Michael more than I do Buck, but I ran into our friend, um, Ricky. He was there, of course. Um, right, well, he lives yeah. in Upper Montgomery County, doesn't he? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So he was there with with Ricky's Pride, and um, I saw a lot of politicians out there. I saw Judge Tamika Brown, Tamika Lane. Oh my God, I can't believe I called her Brown. She's been on our show before. Right. She is going. She is the new Superior Court judge, and there were other you know politicians out there. But it was nice to see folks that were there who were um, showing their support. You know, I, I, I guess one of the things I kind of find interesting is, you know, well, I mean, uh, after Philadelphia itself, Bucks County probably has the strongest association with uh, LGBT life in the Philadelphia region, thanks to New Hope. Ah, yes, yes, yes. I forgot, I forgot that New Hope was in Bucks County. I was just mm -hmm. like, really? Bucks County? Right. Yep. Okay. Okay. Um, but Montgomery is like, you know, kind of sprawling. It's the second most populous county in the state after Philadelphia. Hmm, really? Yeah. Even before Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania? Uh, yeah, there are, there are actually more residents of Montgomery County than there are of Allegheny County. Wow. Huh. Okay. Okay. These, these are great facts to know. So, but yes, yeah, so I think it's definitely worth checking out next year. Um, it was very well put together. The entertainment was really good. It was just, it was a beautiful event. And I'm going to move right from there into the Q-Chan spotlight, just because it relates a little bit. Tom, who has been on our show before he goes to all of the Pride events and he gives out dad hugs. So yep. he was there. He was there right next to Ricky's booth. And so there was actually a dad's a dad hugs and a mom's hugs booth. And just kind of walking by them, kind of visiting some of the booths there. I heard some of the, because I mean, you're kind of in close proximity. A couple of the people that were getting hugs saying, you know, I've not talked to my mom or I've not talked to my dad in this much time. And this has been, you know, when they kicked us out, but just getting good hugs. So that was really a beautiful thing to watch and witness. Um, so that was one of the Q, the Q trans spotlight things. And the other one was a Texas woman becomes a lawyer in her 40s just to fight for her trans daughter's rights. So I thought that that's the beeping on my computer. I thought that that was very, um, it's not something you usually do in your 40s. Although I've known people who have gone to law school in their 40s. Got a few more details about the woman? Like what's um, her name, where she lived? Uh, yeah, I'm going to come back to that. I'm sorry. I am so out of it today. Um, just have a lot of stuff going on, but here, here to that. Um, I will come back to that. And my apologies for not having that right up there. Okay. Well, we, we will circle back to that before the show's out of here, but uh, I guess that uh, brings us to our uh, feature segment uh, today. Um, those of you who are regular listeners will probably recall that uh, two weeks ago, we had on this show, Ernest Owens, one of my colleagues here at Philly Mag, who wrote a column um, 
shortly after we all kind of came out from hibernation about um, the organization that has staged Philadelphia's annual pride parade and festival and a fall event called Outfest for I think going on 20 plus years. Um, it's had various names, most recently known as Philly Pride Presents. Well, anyway, um, the precipitating event for this was uh, some rather tone deaf posts that uh, Philly Pride Presents posted on their Facebook page about the Stonewall Uprising, um, in which they kind of seemed to have a uh, um, prehistoric understanding of uh, what uh, transgender individuals were, or for that matter, the role that they and the drag queens played in all this. Uh, a storm ensued and uh, Ernest wrote a column saying that he was going to boycott uh, Philly's pride events, which uh, at that time were being postponed till September anyway, uh, until the organization got new leadership. Well, instead of the organization getting new leadership, it went poof. Um, and, you know, we asked Ernest what sort, what he thought the future of Pride should look like here. And today, we're going to hear about what the future Pride is most likely to look like because uh, Abdul Ali Muhammad uh, with the Black and Brown Workers Cooperative is part of the group that is putting together a new set of Pride events for this fall. So welcome and uh, tell me how you got involved and what can we expect? <laughs> Thank you, Sandy. Thank you both, Sandy Renee, for having me on. Absolutely. Talk about this. Um, so again, like Sandy said, my name is Abdul Ali. I'm a lifelong Philadelphian. I grew up in West Philly and I've been out since I was about 15. Um, and, um, you know, I've been to Pride, been to <laughs> Outfest, um, which was organized by Philly Pride Presents as well, many, many times. And I've always um, felt that it wasn't inclusive enough or centered enough around Black and Brown Philadelphians. Um, and, and that's important because Philadelphia is a city that has mostly Black and Brown folks in it. And um, the, the issue that I noticed for years is that Philly Pride Presents was white-led um, and it just wasn't um, adequate, <laughs> adequate, adequate organization for this city. Um, and so when Philly Pride Presents dissolved themselves, I put out a call on Twitter to um, invite folks to be in conversation with me uh, to, to start reimagining what pride might look like in Philadelphia. Um, and so a, quickly a group formed. We had two meetings. We're going to have a third meeting on Thursday. And um, it's really exciting to see um, all the different voices, all the different folks um, come together, even in, 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 in this challenging time and space to form an organization that truly reflects Philly and Philly's LGBTQ community. So, you know, we have folks who are queer, trans, bi, um, non-binary, lesbian, um, just across, across um, race and ethnicity, across gender identity, 
um, and sexuality, folks who identify as disabled, people who are HIV positive um, and out about their status, um, coming together to organize something in October. And so what we've agreed on is that in October, we're gonna have an event, probably more likely the second uh, weekend of October. Um, and then we're gonna have a bigger um, Pride event in June, 2022. Um, this event in October will be kind of a, like a no frills event, right? Not as produced as a typical Outfest because again, we have very little time <laughs> given um, that that Philly Pride Presents kind of left, left us hanging by canceling the event in September that they were gonna organize called Pride Light. So um, we have agreed to two events, one in, you know, again, in October and in, in Pride 2022. Um, there's about 60 plus people involved at this moment, and that's growing every day. Um, and the meetings are open to folks who wanna come. Um, we sent out a form to people who are interested to fill out to be added to the Google group. Um, and it's gonna be a committee structure, meaning that um, committees will form themselves and in each committee, a convener will be decided on, voted on in those committees. And then the core committee is um, all the conveners of the committees um, are gonna be create, creating a larger committee body to make decisions. So yeah. I, I just have one question. I don't mean to cut you off there. Can you, you mentioned that folks can, um, how folks can get involved if they wanna get involved. You said that it's a Google doc yeah, so it's a Google form, which I'll drop a link in. Um, I'll drop a link inside the uh, the chat. Give me one second. Sure. And 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 what's the um, so they would just follow that, and that gives them directions on how to they will fill um, out get the involved. They'll fill okay. out the form, and I will populate them into a spreadsheet, and then they from that point they will be added to. Uh, a group, a Google group, and in that Google group, um, you know, different conversations and um, arise, and then also instructions for how to attend the the um, the meetings. Okay, and so I am reading the article that that was in the paper uh, PGN. Is this, and it's, I'm sure it's in there, but I just wanted to. My question was, and so the headline says, "Black and Brown LGBTQ organizers." Um, formulate a new pride. Is this, I'm assuming this is something that's open to all cultures, racial demographics? Absolutely, yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. One of the things that, that I have often remarked to people around here is that, uh, you know, and this is speaking not just of LGBTQ events. This is events in general in the city of Philadelphia. Our parades are kind of lame. You know, yeah, uh, you know, from the Thanksgiving Day parade on down, they're kind of lame. Yes, but we do block parties like you wouldn't believe. Right. Um, are you? You know, I, I guess the first question is: so you know, Outfest was a pretty good block party. How are you going to make it better? <laughs> well, I mean, make it better by making um, some of the. The touch points of it more relevant, culturally relevant. You know, problem mm -hmm. with Alfest is that it was just mostly, um, which is fine, mostly about partying and mostly about consuming overpriced food, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, with an infusion of alcohol. And I think 
the issue of pride in, in Outfest were that the corporate sponsors kind of took over the culture of the event versus the community. And anytime you put community first, you're going to have an amazing event. Um, and so that's what we intend to do um, is centering the, the histories. Um, you know, Sandy, earlier you talked about um, uh, a point in, in LGBTQ history. I think part of what we've lost in Philly, and I can even say probably nationally during Pride, is the historical context um, in, 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 in the conversation, intergenerational conversation that should be happening every Pride, right? So we're very keen on having space for those intergenerational conversations about our history. Why do we have a Pride, right? Who are the folks who are our four people um, who did the work, right? Who resisted in order for us to have what we have today. Um, it's gonna be a, a intentional youth space where young people can be themselves and organize themselves. Um, it's gonna be lit, it's gonna be nightlife folks, performers kind of leading the work around um, the music and the performance culture of Pride, whereas, you know, Philly Pride Presents kind of was a few people making decisions about a lot. In this mm -hmm. case, is a lot of people making decisions <laughs> together. Okay. And so that is a good formula, formula I believe, for a better, a better event. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. There was something you just said that kind of like uh, uh, struck me in something. Oh, God. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, the history stuff. <clears throat> you know, I mean, I think that's of special significance here in as much as gay rights protests as we now know them began here before Stonewall. Right. And I come at the Dewey sit-in. The Dewey's lunch counter sit-ins, the reminder day demonstrations. Dog tactics. Mm-hmm. That group. And, you know, I, I'd be interested to see how you're gonna like work in and you know remind everybody of that history. Yeah, I think part of it is through storytelling. Part of it is probably inviting you. I mean, you you were here when the first report on um, um, you discrimination know, in the gay bar, yeah, exclusivity in LGBTQ spaces was um, worked on. I believe you were part of the group to work on, to work on it. So I feel like you hold a lot of history. Other people in this city um, hold histories, and so that's why. Uh, we need to be mindful of, of that, right? As a community, like all the histories we all hold together and separately um, and talk about it and like actually talk about it, right? Versus getting a flyer with a little description of a history, but being in conversation with some of the people who remember this um, so that younger folks understand what's at stake when, you know, pride, the, when Philly pride presents dissolve themselves, what's at stake is, um, is our histories, right? Um, and so, yeah, I think that that is what I'm intending to do with folks who are like-minded. Um, and I, I mean, so excited. I mean, it's rough because we have a short turnaround, right? Uh, but I'm also excited that something new can be born out of out of this, this, this quote, this crisis, the community crisis. Right. Um, yeah. So I, I have a couple of a couple of questions. One of the things that you said in reference to this history. So I did not come out until my mid early forties. Okay. So I'm always amazed when I hear the history. Mm -hmm. um, just like I recently saw um, 
Summer of Soul. I learned so much history and I was alive then. So mm -hmm. it's it will be interesting to see the history in the LGBTQ community. Like you said, whether it's through storytelling and everything does not have to be drinking and food, but there should be there should be lots of other types of event. The Monco, the Del the Delco Monco Pride event yesterday had there was a lot of families there. Mm -hmm. um, and that was one of the things I noticed, even kind of walking over and waiting for the shuttle bus, everything from little kids who were a lot of teens and tweens that were kind of off into their own little, you know, they were there with family. Yeah. But, yes. But it was just nice to see. It felt like a family event. You know, yeah. this was their first one. It was in a large space, um, but it was still kind of an open space. But it was really nice to see the kids from little kids to older, you know, the tweens, you know, in their own little friend group and they're dancing or they're doing whatever, but to see them so comfortable in their own skin in that environment. So um, it would be nice to see something with families as a part of it. Um, and then you mentioned, and this, these are two things that I've heard just, I guess, pre-Pride and during the month of June, one thing that you mentioned that the events became more about the sponsors for one, mm -hmm. and the other one that um, it's in this article that I read, I'll just put it out there just for as a place placeholder, as far as the police being at Pride. So those are two conversations. So some of the conversations that I've heard were, you know, we don't want any sponsors involved, but things cost money. Right. Um, so I still think that there's a way to have sponsors and well, not allowing I them want to point out is that I know one of your aims is to make the events free for everyone. Yeah, I don't. So I want to I want to just clarify something. No one has right. ever said for my group that we okay. don't have sponsors. Right. No, I'm saying in general, it's yeah. conversations that I've heard kind of pre-pride oh, yeah. and, um, and, and just different communities. I've seen it on social media. And I think there's a way to, so right, the event yesterday was free. A lot of people coming up was going, how much cash do we need? How much is it? And I remember saying free. And it's, I said to someone next to me, free. And they were like, wow, it's free. So people really appreciated that, that it was free. Um, and actually, but, I'll just chime in here and saying that's yeah. one of the things I'm looking forward to about the revamped events in June. You know, when I lived in Boston, I participated in the Pride Festival up there. And you didn't have to pay any money to go into the festival. After the parade, it was just everybody hanging out on the common. Right. And uh, the whole idea of an admission charge, you know, sure. Uh, me they didn't, and can I just say that they didn't need to do that in Philly? If you look at the, if you, they didn't need to do that. They didn't need to charge anybody because, exactly. because they got enough money to, to have a free pride event. The issue is that the folks, um, who are in charge of Philly Pride Presents, they were basically, um, it's supposed to be a charitable organization, but they were breaking even every year. So how are you getting down to zero every year um, without giving yourself money? Um, that's impossible to not have something left over when you're raising so much money. Mm -hmm. um, and to break even every year is a problem. Is a problematic. And um, they were getting so much sponsorship money that they didn't need to charge people for wristbands for pride, right? Outfests would be free, but you would be charged uh, money for a wristband to get into pride at Penn's Landing. There was right. no need for that. I'm, I'm sorry, there there was a break even every year? Yeah, every year. And, and if you look at their financials, every year they were down to zero 
they spend every dime. To the dime? To the dime. Um, yeah, I'm yeah. going to say nonprofits, by definition, are not supposed to turn a profit on their operations. But on the other hand, most of them do have reserve funds. Right. Yeah. And, right. They, and, and also, like, th there's some money left over, typically. Uh, yeah. Or, you know, sometimes. And so it's a, just an interesting thing that they went to zero every year. They spend everything every year. Um, and a lot of that did go to people um, in terms of their salary um, for their involvement. And so in terms of sponsorship, no, I think a good model would be to have sponsors, but not to have them as loud and in, 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 in terms of decision-making, right? Like you can sponsor us, and but you can't control what happens. Right. Sometimes sponsors want us to do, you know, they will want the organization to do certain things um, in their name in order to sponsor. Um, and in this way, what we're saying is, no, it's about the community. And yes, you get to sponsor, but you right. won't have a, a, um, a huge voice in terms of what, what happens at Pride. Right, exactly. And, and, yeah. and that, that was my next point that I was going to say. You can have sponsors and you can still be involved. The community can still be in charge. And, and set the parameters of what that looks like and what you can and cannot do. And there's no ifs, ands, or buts. Right. Um, and then I would say the other piece too is, you know, people, because people are, are constantly asking us about, okay, well, you don't have, you want cops there. And, um, you know, Pride New York has modeled how to use security um, instead of relying on police. Um, there's other prides around the world. Um, who, who create safety planning and safety, a safety committee um, in order to figure out what needs to be in place to keep people safe, right? And mm -hmm. so that is what we're talking about. We're not talking about no kind of safety planning. We're talking about having the community control that as opposed to relying on police. And so can you talk a little bit about that? Just, I've heard a little bit about, you know, kind of, we don't want police there. Where's that coming from? And what is, so yesterday, the event I was in, there were, the first thing I noticed when I got within a block of the parking and in the area, there were, there was a police presence, which made me feel comfortable. There was security at the door that were non-police. And I don't remember once I went into the event, whether I saw police, I definitely saw security mm -hmm. um, and just the folks at the front door. But I wasn't upset that there were police. There was police, I mean, a block or so away where the shuttle bus was and they were directing traffic, you know, um, and by the parking lot. My, my, my take on the whole thing is that, you know, um, the mistrust of the police in the gay community has a legit background, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, given you know, given what Stonewall began as, you know, um, and the the history of police community relations, you know, I don't uh, I do find it amusing actually though just to side historical tidbit. So Frank Rizzo, as you know, you know the police when he's police commissioner made it a habit of raiding gay bars just like they did in New York. Right. <laughs> But there was one gay bar here that never got raided. It was yeah. a bar that's been in that was in business since 1971, and it was owned by a friend of the police commissioner. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. That there's also that highly personal, personal, you know, stuff that actually characterizes so much of uh, 
so much of Philadelphia politics and things like this that that factors in too. And I think that's going to be kind of interesting to see how you surround it all. Yeah, I think like for me and for many people who frequent the neighborhood who've been targeted by cops um, in bars, outside of bars, right? Um, who've been followed to veiled. I'm thinking about Niza Moritz, who's a black trans woman who was last yes. alive with cops in the early 2000s, who died a few days later. Under very suspicious circumstances and the mystery remains unsolved to this day. Yeah, and I, I also think about how police in this city and in the nation target trans people who who they see as sex workers, who they perceive to be doing sex work, right? There was something called condom as evidence where cops would just stop and frisk people who were trans, especially trans women. Um, and then it would have, when they would find a condom, they would give them a solicitation charge. Right, because they are assuming that that condom in that um, pocketbook meant that they were doing sex work, right? Wow, so okay. you have this intense um, criminalization based on condom as evidence. Um, and so when we talk about the history of pride in particular, it was black and brown, um, trans folks, trans women, drag queens who really led the resistance. Um, and so in their honor, why are we engaging with police? Why are we, um, allowing police to be centered in our space. We should not have that um, at Pride, um, given our history. Um, and also because they do cause harm to our community. Um, and so while some people might feel safe when there are cops around, others feel unsafe. <laughs> it's a slightly different thing, but I will put it this way. I, you know, given what the alternatives are, um, the part of Germantown I live in, I'm, I'd rather see the cop cars there than not see them there, but at the same time, and you know, at the same time, I would like to encourage those police officers who would like to change the way police interact with the community and all that. But you know, at the same time, I hear where you're coming from. Yeah, no, I, I definitely hear it. Um, <clears throat> as most people know, I'm a survivor advocate of domestic violence. Um, I sit on the board of Women Against Abuse. Um, in 1979, they got me to Texas, which was, you know, 40 some years ago, that was just unheard of. And one of the things that we are doing in reference to the police and domestic violence is that we're training at the police academy. And it, it's not, doesn't mean that it always work. I've been at events where, um, whether I'm at an event representing women, women against abuse, maybe it's just at a table at an event or whatever it is. And I've heard police and professionals say things that are totally off the wall with society's perception of domestic violence. You know, um, it's her fault. Why does she stay? We're not, but we're, we're not looking anything but the perpetrator, but I'll be brief here with this. I think you still have to, and this is my opinion, um, bridge some kind of communication to, towards making things better, if that makes sense. And one of the reasons why we teach at the police academy at Women Against Abuse is that's like the first line. And I remember in 1970 something when I was married to my first husband having a literally a protection order in my hand while my husband beat the crap out of me with the cop literally a foot away. And all he said was, Mr. Jones, please 
take your hands off of your wife. And he was bored. He was picking his nails. Um, but the point is, you can't just say, well, that's how they are. And we're going to be over here. I, I think there still needs to be a connection to say, how do we connect there? So yeah. just like LGBTQ folks are in every profession, they're all over the world, um, perhaps connecting with um, LGBTQ folks that serve in the police, just like they're in the military, and start some kind of a dialogue. I, I think just to say, so no. I, I will say this, like, I appreciate your perspective. And like, mm -hmm. sorry that, that happened to you and that your husband did that to you. Right. The police stood by. But if you look at the statistics around intimate partner violence, police are up there. Um, when it comes to abuse, when it comes to intimate partner violence. Um, and so what I will say is, I think of, of when I think about cops and um, domestic violence, I think of Joyce Kwawie, who was a black woman who was beaten by two cops, two temple cops to, to death. Um, and, you know, this is this happens nationally where cops are involved in domestic violence situations. Mm -hmm. um, and so I don't think that cops keep even uh, people who are um, victims of domestic violence or survivors of domestic violence safe. Um, and, you know, this is not, I think for me and in my, in my life, I've had so many cop interactions that I understand that the system of policing um, will not benefit us um, as a whole and that some people might experience um, cops as, as saving their life or being needed. But overall, policing in our country and in our communities is a harm. It's, it causes more harm than good. Um, and it, the interventions that I see work are people who are um, in our communities who are invested in community mediation or safety planning um, help people who are survivors of domestic violence get out of those situations. Oftentimes, cops are, are not helpful. Um, um, and, 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 and right, so um, I'm just going to agree to disagree there because I've been involved with for the last, um, I don't know, 10, 12 years that I've been involved with domestic violence here and in Texas. Um, every entity, I, I don't think anything is absolute. Um, and I have experience as a survivor um, in many situations where I have been hated and other people have been hated. So I think we should just agree to disagree on that point. Um, we, we both have our perspectives, our perspectives are different, but they definitely play a role in domestic violence and we work towards that connection. Though I might suggest that this might be an interesting topic for a future episode in general. Yeah. Um, I would, before we have to move on further though, like to ask about, you know, since most of what we've been talking about here is the fall event. So going on to June, you know, um, so is it a, it's a fall event and, and June, correct? Correct. Right, okay. Are we looking at a parade? I know one of the things that Ernest said in his column was that the sort of event he kind of would like to see would be a little bit more distributed throughout the city and not just, you know, a bunch of people marching down, uh, you know, Spruce Street, then 10th Street, then Market Street. I think for me, one, pride has not never been accessible to folks who are physically disabled. Um, if you look at the history of pride, you, you've not seen um, 
uh, an attempt, a really a widespread attempt to make it accessible to folks who are um, uh, non-English speakers, to people who are in wheelchairs, people who have other, um, other you know, material and um, devices that they use for accessibility. And so what we wanna do is make it more accessible this uh, uh, coming Pride. And we want to also have Pride events throughout the year because we should be proud of who we are all the time and, and every day. And we should also distribute events throughout the year. So maybe have um, some panels um, in the early spring, maybe have um, you know some, some other events in, um, following Outfest um, around um, our history. Um, and, and so we, yeah, we want, to, we want to distribute events throughout the month of June um, throughout the year, um, if possible, and also to make those events accessible to folks who have been historically um, unable to access Pride. Um, and in terms of a parade, I love a parade, right? But if that is not what the group decides, then um, that probably won't happen. But I, I do feel like there might there it, there will be a parade, right, component to it. Um, we just have not gotten there, there yet in our planning. Mm -hmm. Well, you got a little more time to work on that. Right. And then you can build on, uh, you know, what you, this, you know, the successes and the things you uh, learned from this October uh, to continually improve the next event. Because I guess one of the things that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful for about this effort is, you know, um, I don't know if that's, this is how you would characterize it, but both events have become kind of formulaic. You know, yeah, there was there was a certain predictability and sameness to them, and um, if nothing else, this turn of events leaves the opportunity for us to do some experimentation. You know, besides including more people, you know, um, what kind what kinds of things will engage people better? I you know I hear a lot of this coming from you, and that makes me very hopeful. Hopeful that it looks different and that it feels different for people. Mm -hmm. um, for sure. I think actually, let me see. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, so I should note here. Let me take a look. Um, you did put in the link uh, to yes. Um, there is currently a Google form up um, at. Um, uh, well, let's see. I can't really read the URL. It's a bunch of gibberish, but didn't you put a short one here? Yeah. Yeah, it's also a bunch of... I think it'd probably be easier if, like, you share it out with the link, if possible, or tell folks to, um, you know... We can put this up on our page, can't we? Yes. We will yes. do that. Um, there is a form that New Pride is uh, distributing. It's a Google doc It's a Google survey. Uh, where anybody who is interested in being part of planning the future of Pride in Philadelphia can fill out this form and get in touch with the organizers. And uh, I would encourage uh, everyone who you know is interested in the welfare of the LGBTQ community here, and uh, you know celebrating our diversity, strength, triumphs, accomplishments, challenges—you name it. Uh, to uh, get involved in 
contact Abdul and his fellow organizers. Yes, and it's it's a pretty straightforward um, form, um, but it asks a lot of powerful questions. So I think that that's a that's a good thing. Um, now, is there a way for folks to get involved who do not use the internet? Um, hmm, that's a good question. Who do not use the internet? Who don't who don't use the internet and or cell phones? Who? Yeah. Um, you know, and you know, it's, and we forget sometimes that there are lots of people out there like that who maybe they want to get involved. But how do I get involved yeah. if I don't have access to the internet? Or yeah, um, I think um, you know, there's an option on Zoom for people to call in um, to use traditional phones to call in. Um, there's not an in-person option. There's not um, a non-digital option at this point because of COVID. Um, I do know that we are planning to have in-person meetings at some point um, in the accessibility committee. Once that forms, we'll probably be better able to kind of work on how to make this more accessible to folks who are without technology. Um, and so we haven't gotten there yet in our okay. organization. Again. Right. And, and I think that that was something that was highlighted at the beginning of COVID when they were doing... Um, kids, you know, kids doing school online where a lot of families did not have internet, you know, they didn't have computers at home. Absolutely. So, yeah. so I definitely think that, um, cool, thank you. Thank you, uh, Sandy, for giving me the time. I definitely think that that's probably a challenge, especially in neighborhoods that, you know, don't have access to technology. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, again, we have a committee, committees forming now, and we have an accessibility committee. Um, and that's something that the accessibility committee will definitely be trying to figure out how to make work for folks without technology. So, so right now you guys have, <clears throat> I'm sorry, you have Zoom meetings. Is that with the, the organizer or is that the public also at this point? It's with folks in, interested at this point. Okay, yeah. okay. So right, so there is an opportunity that we we can just put information out there that if you don't have act, internet access, that you can call in and still be a part of the conversation and the discussion. Absolutely. Yeah, every every Zoom meeting you can dial into. Right, right. So why right, it's just a matter of getting that out there to folks who yeah. don't have it, yeah. so that way they know. Um, mm -hmm. and, and maybe that's done through, um, you know, you have state reps in, in various neighborhoods. And um, I know I saw a lot of politicians yesterday at the Delco Monco um, Pride event. Maybe that's something that the state representatives can get out to communities. Absolutely. Yeah, okay, okay. Um, so Sandy, what do we have up next? Or you know, before we get there, Abdul, is, is there anything else that you would like to, we have the, link we're going to share. Is there anything else before we leave this topic that you want to end with or share with, with our listeners? Yeah, that This is exciting times, right? Where Philly gets to redefine what pride looks for all of us um, and really hold the community closer um, in, in the planning phase. And so I encourage everyone who's interested to, you know, to fill out this, this form, to attend meetings, to, to show up because these are exciting times where we can, like Sandy said, reimagine 
what it what it means to have a pride in Philly in a uh, outfest or whatever you know happens in its place. Um, and so, yeah, I'm excited for what is in store. And and are allies involved at this level or perhaps later? I don't. We don't have an allies committee yet. Um, okay. But at this point, these folks who who identify with our community. Okay. Um, leading the organizing work. And I think eventually we do have a volunteers committee. So, so allies are definitely able to be volunteers and, and be and sit on that committee. Um, and we don't have an allies committee yet, but that's okay. something that can be formed. Okay. And, and what about the parents of um, transgender or gay, gay children? Minors, mm-hmm. minors. Is that something, is there a way for them to get involved? Because if they are straight parents and their children are in the community. um... Yeah, I think like we do have a youth committee. um, Okay. You know, there's space for folks to show up there. They have a young person in their life. Um, And, you know, yeah, there's many ways for people to show up um, in this work. Um, So, yeah. Wonderful, wonderful. Um, and Sandy is giving me a the clock, letting me know we are running out of time. Yep. So uh, the go ahead. I'm sorry, Sandy. I'm gonna say right now, you know, I, I think we should uh, see if we've got a gas queue. Um, you know, um, as 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 I explained at the top, you know, this is we we do this as clues for the clueless because there are no stupid questions, only stupid people. But I'm sure you've probably encountered somebody who's asked you a question that, you know, when you saw it, you just like did a double take and went, wait, what? Can you give me, do you have any good examples of that? Do I have any good examples of something that maybe you go, wait, what? (laughs) Um, Not off the top. I can't think of anything right now um, that comes to mind. Um, Okay, so so I have I have one if if guests have one we use that but I usually have one, one in the can, Um, we kind of collect these from folks along the way. Sometimes people will add things to our social media, social media pages. So it says when 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 is a late in life gay person, what is a late in life gay person, and are they just faking it. What? Yeah. Okay. As the resident geezer on this program, I think I'm going to answer that one. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, homosexuality wasn't invented at Stonewall. There have been gay people throughout human history. We now know that, you know, we may not have had a category for them but they existed, Socrates, Oscar Wilde, um, you know, Zora Neale Hurston, the, the list goes on. No, we aren't faking it. It may well be that we came to realize that we too loved members of our own sex or gender more than we loved those of the opposite sex or gender late and that has a lot to do with cultural conditioning and stuff like that. But no, if you run into an older gay, lesbian, queer, bi, trans person, it's not an act. 
these people are who they are. Mm-hmm. We are who we are. Well said. It's- I would just add to that too that there's a documentary on Hulu called Pride. And it's it called what? I'm Pride. sorry. It's a docu-series called Pride. Okay. On, on Hulu, which is an oh. app, a streaming app. And um this the the first episode talks about how the lavender scare, which was a part of the red scare, McCarthy uh, would basically target people who he considered communists, but if he couldn't make the communist allegation stick, he would then say they were homosexuals, right? And promoting homosexuality. So this documentary talks about how previous to the lavender scare or the Ritz in the Ritz scare, um, there was um, there was uh, a moment um, in American history where um, LGBTQ folks could, at least people who identified as gay or lesbian, um, could have some kind of out, outness, right? Before that. And then after the 50s, the, this deep fear, state um, sanctioned fear um, became more, um, more prevalent. Um, and that's what drove a lot of people um, back in the closet or uh, kept people from coming out. Wow. Wow. Useful. And uh, that's a good recommendation, by the way. Um, uh, at, and with that though, I think we have just enough time for a very quick, for some lightning round questions, newsworthy or not, uh, here, the reactions are brief. Um, you know, hated it, loved it. Two snaps up child, please. (laughs) Um, what you got? So I have two. So the Olympics reject calls to remove Laura Hubbard from competing in weight weightlifting. We covered Laura a couple of weeks ago because she um, was competing in, I believe, the heavyweight division. Um, so the Olympics rejects calls to remove her. She's transgender, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So there's been demands to have her removed in the Olympics. It's, it said no. We're she not snaps up. Her. And the last one is Christian organizations attack fast food for being too pro-LGBTQ. Let them eat (laughs) (laughs) Chick-fil-A. Basically. Yeah. (laughs) Perfect answer. Perfect answer. Um, I think that's all we have time for tonight. Thank you so much to our guests, um, Abdul Ali Muhammad. Thank you so much for being with us. Um, we have our podcasts. They are everywhere. iTunes, Podomatic, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcast where you can just find us. Just look for Cue the Mic. Just remember, See? be careful when telling Alexa to play Cue the Mic. Oh, yes. Yes. And thank goodness you were wearing my Bluetooth. Otherwise, she's listening. So, Sandy, are you going to take us home? I sure will. You have been listening to Cue the Mic on Germantown Comedian Radio, 92.9 FM, WGGTLP, Philadelphia, and online at gtownradio.com, and on the air Saturdays at 2 on WXVU 89.1, Villanova's Campus Community Radio Station. Good night, and see you all next week.